want to come and, or somebody and pass them out. The reason I wanted to pass, have you pass them out is because there's two sheets. And so they're in order. I'll give part to each of you. And so uh, we're also going to be uh, starting to live stream the services on Wednesday evenings. And uh, because it doesn't cost us anything. And, but, the, but the reason for it is, is I don't want people to miss out. And I got thinking about it today, you know, that either I believe that what we're sharing here on Wednesday evenings is important to us. Otherwise, why are we bothering to come out in the first place? And so we need to get a hold of these truths and a hold of these principles. And, and so <clears throat> the reason I wanted you to, wanted to hand out the notes is you've got your notes but you're also going to have homework. Everybody say, praise the Lord. But um, <clears throat> right after the notes, there's, there's questions that you can answer. And it's just for your own benefit. You can answer those questions. Then on next week's lesson, we'll have the answers. And so you can, you can compare. The other thing I'd like to encourage you to do is uh, take these notes again and utilize them. Um, you know, some of you that are coming here together, you know, find a time during the week and get together and go over the notes and talk about them. And uh, maybe you have some other people that you can invite in to, um, to share with, to hear that word. Because, like I said, it's important. There were right, one right after another. <laughs> Two. Holy moly. So you can take it, you can take it to the back and leave it back there. But uh, so, so go through it with somebody because it's important. The other part of it is um, the majority of this material, I'm taking it right out of uh, Andrew Womack's book, um, Grace, the Power of the Gospel. And so if you really want to get fanatical, um, you might want to buy the book. If you can't find it someplace, you can get a hold of me. I can buy it uh, and get it for you. If I buy it from Andrew, I think it's 15 bucks. I might be able to find it some other place uh, cheaper. I'll get the best price that we can. But this is why I, want you, why I believe this is so important. This message of grace and understanding the power of the gospel in our lives. If we're going to live the victorious life, we've really got to get a hold of this truth. And what's so sad about it is I really don't believe the majority of the church has it. Um, they, they, they've heard elements of it, but they really haven't got a hold of what this, this gospel is really all about. Because if we can get a hold of this gospel, which one of the definitions of, of gospel of grace is it's not just simply good news, but too good to be true news. And when we begin to realize how good this gospel is, that it's truly too good to be true, although it's true. Um, it'll, it'll revolutionize our lives. And so uh, I want every way that we can to get a hold of it. And so <clears throat> begin to share the word. You know, I, I always think it's better if you come together as the body of Christ to hear the word of God because there's the anointing there. Um, but I know there's, there's individuals because of whatever reason they can't uh, get out on Wednesday evening, but they've their phone or some other device is available to them. 
let them know that it's going to be online every uh, Wednesday night. And if they can't get it live, it'll be on afterwards. But it's important to get a hold of these truths. So with that, let's begin tonight. And so we're going to be talking about, for the next several weeks, grace, the power of the gospel. Um, it, it is a powerful gospel, and it's, the Bible says, or one of the definitions of gospel is good news. It's good news. Everybody say good news. It's not bad news. It's good news. I remember when I lived in, in, uh, in Missouri, when I was going to Bible school, I had to drive into St. Louis to go to uh, to work and so forth. And when I'd ride home, I'd listen to the Christian radio station. And uh, uh, the, so much of what I heard was not good news. Guess what? To hear night after night after night, the judgment is going to come down on you. It's not good news. Um, to hear that uh, the way that you've lived your life up to now, you're going to end up in hell. That's not good news. The good news is Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus was raised from the dead. For your and my justification, Jesus is going to come back. That's the good news. And you know what? It's almost too good to be true, to think that how miserable and rotten and no good I was. But yet Jesus, in spite of that, came unconditionally, poured out his life for me that I might have life. That's good news. Now, now the thing is, is we've got to get to the point where we really believe that. And I believe that oftentimes we really don't believe it. We say it, but we don't really believe it because if we truly believed it, our actions would be totally different. Um, <clears throat> today at noon, um, Pastor Becky had taped it a while back, but it was uh, a testimony that, uh, that Creflo Dollar had on his program. And it was about this police officer uh, in St. Louis or in the Atlanta area whose um, son was home from college and got over to a friend's house. And uh, he and another friend was at this friend's house and um, <coughs> the three of them were shot dead. Well, I guess the one was just critically wounded, but his son and the other uh, friend, were they, were they were literally shot dead. And um, so when the trial came up, and he says, as an officer, you know this, but most people don't realize, that a trial like this takes three years for it to come up. And so after three years, finally the guy that, that murdered his son um, came up on trial. And he said it was the most unusual thing. It was, it was absolutely unbelievable that when that young man walked into the room, he said, I loved him. I knew that he'd killed my son, but I felt absolutely nothing but love towards that guy. And he, he sat through the entire um, trial. Um, he was sentenced to um, uh, three life sentences. And, but, be, but before they gave the sentence, everybody in the families had an opportunity to share and, and say what they wanted to to the, to the young guy. And he said, you know, everybody in the family who are Christians, believers, and so forth, and he says, I, I don't see any wrong in them. Um, they told him that he was going to burn in hell. They, they, they just wanted him to suffer for everything that, that he had put them through. And he says, but when I got up, I looked over at him and he says, you know, uh, God loves you. And I want you to know that I love you. And that, that it's been easy for me to forgive you because God forgave me. And so I forgive you. And so I want you to know that, 
that you're forgiven. And I want you to realize that no matter where you are in life, whether it's in prison or wherever, God uh, can make something good come out of your life. And so uh, then after the guy, he was sentenced to, like I said, three lies, and he's in prison. And he said he was gonna write, wanted to write him this letter, and he said he'd written it many times, but just before he'd sent it, he'd, he'd tear it up. He'd think, oh, he's gonna think this is crazy. So finally, he sent this letter off to this, to this young man. And he said he wasn't sure how he was gonna respond when he got it. But <clears throat> uh, one of the officers told him that he gave him the letter uh, when he was, he was in the commons area. And he looked at it and he says he, he turned pale because he recognized the name. He knew that it was the father of one of the boys that he had, he had murdered. And so he, he took a friend of his and went back to his cell and he, he, he gave him the letter and he says, you, I, I need you to read this to me. And so he, he said he couldn't even look at him when he read it because he just knew that he was gonna get chewed out, he was gonna get put down, all that kind of stuff. And so he said he gave the letter to this friend of his and he turned his back on him because he didn't even want to watch the expression on his face. And he says, come on, go ahead and read the letter. And the guy couldn't read the letter and finally turned around and the guy's weeping. And he says, you need to read this letter. This is personal. This is just for you. And so in the letter, this man told the man who had killed his son. He said, uh, I forgive you. I love you. And I don't have a, nun, a, a son now, but I know that I'm going to see him in heaven. But until that point in time, I was wondering if you would be willing to be my son. And so he, he basically adopted him. And uh, anyway, that's the love of God. That's the gospel. That's good news that is too good to be true news that Jesus has provided for each and every one of us, but we don't, we don't see it. We fall short of that. And so in our notes, Paul wrote the book of Romans to the Christians in Rome. And uh, the Romans, you know, these, these were Gentiles who had received the gospel, they'd been born again, and were committed to follow after the Lord Jesus. But because they lived in Rome, in Rome <clears throat> um, the Jewish believers kept trying to bring them under the Jewish law, to bring them under the law. You know, why, why is it so important for us to understand this gospel? Because I don't know about you, when I bring somebody to Jesus, I want them to know that it was for freedom that Christ set them free. It wasn't so that he could bring them back under a, a, a new set of rules and regulations. But you know what? <clears throat> I can't present to somebody what I don't have. You know, I, I'd, I'd love to, and, and you'd, you'd probably receive it too. But I'd love to give every one of you in this room $1,000. And that's as far as it's going. <laughs> but I don't have it. I mean, I, I guess I'd go to the bank. I don't care that much about you, so I won't. You know, <laughs> but but I, I don't have that money on me. But, you know, 
God loves us so much that he made the ultimate sacrifice so that everything that we have committed can be completely forgiven. But I can't give, I can't give you $1,000 because I don't have $1,000 on me. I can't give what I don't have. I can't give somebody the message of God's grace and of God's love if I haven't received it for myself. Now, I may be, I may be born again. I, I, by the way, I am. I'm born again. I, I know that, that God loves me, but I've got to know the depth of that love in order to be able to pass it on to somebody else. For me to say to you that God unconditionally has forgiven you every sin that you've ever committed, that God, through his love, poured out his blood, the blood of Jesus, so that not only your sins are forgiven, but that you might have wholeness and health in every area of your life. For me to be able to share that with you with conviction, I have to believe that. But I think oftentimes we don't have that conviction within ourselves. And so then when we share with somebody, it becomes it becomes very shallow. Because if I know the love of Christ, I'm able to extend the love of Christ. You know, one of the things about the message of grace, oftentimes what we see, is people want the message of grace, or they want grace extended to them, but they're unwilling to extend it to others. Why is that? Because they don't really understand grace. Because grace is totally unconditional, undeserved. And so we can bless others then, even though they don't deserve it. But we can do it unconditionally when we understand his love for us. And so Paul is in Romans is speaking to these these Roman Gentiles, and he's, he's addressing it the way that he does because of, of the legalism that's, that's coming to them um, through the, uh, the Jewish believers and so forth, because all that they know is the law. You know, it's interesting. You can, you can get a hold of truth, But if you don't, if, if there's not an attitude of repentance, in other words, leaving behind what you've already received so that you can receive the new, what happens? You just, you just added on to it. One of the most dramatic ex examples of this that I ever saw personally was when I was in the Philippines with Jimmy. And uh, Pastor Fords had come after church on Sunday and she'd said, uh, to Jimmy and I, if we could come with her to this little burial because um, there were these new Christians there and there were demons that were manifesting in their house. And so Jimmy and I, we got on his motorcycle and we headed, you know, for that house. And we get there and, and uh, we said, you know, what, what's going on? And so they, they show us, you know, here, here's a young couple that had gotten born again and they lived in a, it was a, a, a brick structure but it had a dirt floor. You know, prosperity is relevant, depending on where you live. And so they were being blessed, and so they were, as they could afford the concrete, they were putting a concrete floor in their house. 
And the, the front room already was concrete and they were working on the bedroom. Uh, but in the bedroom, they ran into a problem because in the corner, there was this mound of dirt that was growing. And so they had gone to the, uh, to the witch doctor and the witch doctor had said, well, that's a, that's a demon, you know, and so you need to bring me a chicken and uh, I'll, I'll say my thing. And every week you bring me a chicken, I'll say my thing. And the mound just kept growing and the dog had touched it and died and grandma had touched it and gotten sick and there was just all kinds of stuff going on. And, and so uh, we walk in there and, and so they said, so what, what, what should we do? And, and well, well, first we sat down with the couple and it was interesting because on the wall, you know, because they'd come out of Catholicism, and, and, and see, Catholicism in the Philippines is different than in many parts of the world because they'd come out of paganism and their ancestral worship and so forth. And so when they came out of that, when they came into Catholicism, they just added Catholicism to their, their pagan worship that they already had. And so then they had gone to church and they got born again and so what they had done was they had just added the born again experience to what they already had. What, what, what do we need to do when we're born again? We need to repent therefore and be baptized. What do we repent of? Well, we think, well, we repent of all of our, our past sins. No, we, we repent of anything that we trusted in. The sin is not really an issue because Jesus took care of that, his blood covered that. What we have to repent from is everything that we put our trust in so that our trust is completely, totally in Jesus and in Jesus alone. As Tony Evans says, it's faith alone in Christ alone. That's what we have to put our trust in. So that's where repentance comes in. And so <clears throat> many of us, we grew up in church. Now the question is, when you got born again, did you just simply add the born again experience to what you already had, or did you repent of what you had been trusting in and put your trust completely in Jesus? Well, that went over like a lead balloon, but, but, it's, but it's, that's what we have to do. We have to repent from that. You know, I grew up trusting in my, my baptism as an infant, trusting in my confirmation, trusting in going to church more than everybody else, giving a couple more bucks than my brother, you know. But where was the focus? The focus was on me. Amen. Why is that? Because that's the focus of religion. It's always on me. It's always on you. What's the focus of Christianity? Jesus. And it's on him alone that we put our trust, our focus, our confidence. And so here we have this young couple and they've got their two little children. And, uh, you know, there's, there's this picture on the wall of Jesus with a heart and the praying beads around it. And, and, uh, and, and then, um, you know, the little, the little baby is there and she's, the baby's got this little pouch that they'd gotten from the witch doctor that you don't dare take off because, um, you know, the curse will come upon you. And so 
we said, uh, can we see that pouch? And they give us a pouch and ripped it open. And oh, they just about fainted right there. But there was a bean, a spent shell, and a couple other goofy, silly things in there. And we said, now, now you're Christians. You don't go to the witch doctor anymore. You turn from that. You, you, don't, you don't follow after that anymore. Whatever it was that you trusted in before, <clears throat> you don't trust in that any longer. You don't come to church on a below zero night to a bun of life ministries to get brownie points. You come here to hear the word of God. But you're not any more saved than somebody that stayed home tonight. Now it might be dangerous for a preacher to say that, but that's the truth. Because your salvation isn't based on you going to church. Your salvation is based on the completed works of Jesus and that alone. Now as a result of that, you're here tonight. Why? Because of what Jesus has done in your life, you want to know more about that so that you can walk in, uh, in, in that victory in a greater measure than you ever have before. That's what it's about. It's not because you tithe. Now I believe everybody should tithe, but it's not because you tithe that you have favor with God. You have favor with God because of Jesus. You tithe out of your relationship with Jesus. We help others, not because we're trying to get brownie points, but we help others because God so loved me, I love others. And so I'm able to extend that love to others. And so then after we open that up and they see what's in there and they're just thinking, my goodness. And so we're getting ready to go and they says, well, what, what do we do about the growing dirt mound? And we say, well, you got a shovel. And so they bring us a shovel and we, you know, I mean, it's hard as concrete. We couldn't even get a shovel into it. And so they, they brought a par- pry bar and we took the pry bar and we started to break it up. And it was a termite hill. And so he cleaned the thing out. But see, the devil's real. But you know, there's a lot of phenomena out there that the enemy will use to confuse us. And you see, if that had been my house, I would have made the assumption it was a termite hill before I would have made the assumption it was a demon manifesting himself in my house. That's how the enemy will lie to you. And so you got to know the truth and the truth will set you free. We want to be free, amen? We want to walk in the victory. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them out. It's in your notes. But I like to read out of my Bible. I must say Bible. In Galatians, the first chapter, you know, Paul gives them some rebuke here because they ought to know better. Amen. There's a lot of people that ought to know better that, that don't seem to. But it says here, In Galatians, the first chapter, I'm going to begin in the sixth verse. Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from he who called you by the grace of God, of Christ, to a different gospel. He's saying, 
I'm surprised that so quickly you're willing to turn away to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so it, there is no other gospel. There's only one gospel. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's saying he's surprised that you're turning from that to what someone else is telling you is the gospel which is not the gospel. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before and so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what, what you have received, let him be accursed. <clears throat> Listen to me. We're in a day right now when, when there are those, even within churches, that are saying there are many approaches to God. There are many different avenues to God. The gospel is broad. No, the gospel is narrow. Narrow is the way. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. But narrow is the path. Narrow is the way that leads to Christ. And it's Christ and he alone. That's the only avenue. And so Paul is confronting them and he's saying to them, why are you so quickly turning from this truth? You know what? I, I, I think one of the biggest hindrances to the gospel is that it's free. It's free. You know, <clears throat> because you, you can get this, uh, this mentality that, well, you know, you know, if something's totally free, you don't appreciate it. You know, something that takes some effort on your part. You really, you, you learn to appreciate it. You're, <clears throat> within the church, there's, there's this entitlement mentality. I'm entitled. Now, let me tell you something. We're not entitled to anything. If, if we're going to go by that, it's just the opposite. We're not entitled to anything. But it's the grace of God that's made it available to us. And so there, there are no other avenues. There's no other way. There's only one gospel. And the gospel is, is Jesus. Anything other than that is a counterfeit. Anything other than that is a lie. But listen to this in, verse, in Galatians, the fifth chapter, the third verse. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Why does he say that? He's saying that because they were teaching that circumcision was a requirement, an act that you had to perform in order to be saved. And he's saying that's, that's totally wrong. He says, if, if that's the truth, then you're, in, you're indebted to the entire law. You got to do the whole thing. Then he goes on in the fourth verse and he says, you have become estranged from Christ. Why have they become estranged from Christ? Because they're trying to do it in their own strength. They're saying it's my way, not your way. And anything that we set up as a, a rule or a requirement, 
You know, we have baptism periodically. But you know, when you're baptized in this church, you're not baptized into Abundant Life Ministries. Because that's not a requirement, that's not a stipulation to be part of this, this church. You're not baptized into Abundant Life Ministries. You're baptized into the body of Christ. And so that's why if you come from another uh, church or another denomination and you've been water baptized, we don't require for you to be baptized again. Why? Because you're already baptized. You're already part of the body. Baptism is not a work that you perform to be in the church. It's an outward expression of what Jesus has already done in your life. And so it says, he says that they're estranged from Christ. You, you who attempt to be justified by the law. In other words, you're estranged from Christ when you attempt to get right with God in your own strength or in your own ability. I am the righteousness of God in Christ, not because of anything that I've done, but because of what Jesus did for me. It's all about him. And that's what I want, is, want you to see tonight about this good news, this gospel, this news that is too good to be true. That is, the focal point is not you. The focal point is always Jesus. Let me read this again. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. You know, we've talked about this before. But you know, many people teach what falling from grace is, is that you lose your salvation that you've fallen away from God. When the Bible's talking about falling from grace, what it's talking about is you're no longer putting your trust completely in Jesus, you're beginning to trust in your own efforts again. And the moment that you begin to trust in your own efforts, you're falling from grace because you're not dependent upon grace, you're dependent upon your own personal ability. You know what, that's what, that's what creates then all the strife and so forth that we see within the church today. Because <clears throat> I'm better than you are because I give more than you, or I'm better than you are because, you know, I'm, I'm just better than you. No, you're worser because you're trusting in Yusuf. We need to put our trust completely in Jesus and he'll never forsake us. You know, in, in the book of Hebrews, Paul uses the rituals, the traditions, all of that to, to speak to the Jewish people, to show them how, how he, Jesus, uh, was the fulfillment of that. Or, or Paul, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. He writes it for that purpose, to show that Jesus was the fulfillment of these things. In Romans, it's written to the Jews so that they don't get under condemnation from the Jews who are trying, did I say Jews or Gentiles? Written to the Gentiles so they don't fall into condemnation from the Jews who are trying to impose their legalistic ideas upon them. Romans impounds that grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to both Jews and Gentiles believers, to both of them. It's written to everybody. It's for all of us to get a hold of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
In Romans 6.23 it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. The, the, the significance of a gift is you can't do anything to earn it or to deserve it. If, you, if you've earned it, it's no longer a gift. It's a wage. And it doesn't matter how minor that may be. Well, you know what? If you're good today, when we go to the store, I'll buy you a pack of gum. Well, that's not a gift. They had to earn it. Amen. You know, if you're really good this weekend, when we go to the store, I'll give you a new toy. No, you're not. You're causing them to earn that toy. I'm not saying it's not a good manipulator, because it is. But it's not, it's not a gift. They've earned it if they've been good. Now, if they've been just a little rotten little critter and you give it to them anyway, then it's a gift because they didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. <laughs> Amen. That's where we fall in. We've not done anything to earn it or deserve it. It's a gift. And he's poured out his love upon each and every one of us. Let's go back to Romans again. First chapter. The 16th verse. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Guess what? <clears throat> There's no separate means of salvation. A few years ago, there was a teaching going around that there was a, there was a separate avenue of salvation for the Jews. No, 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 no. Paul straightens this out right here. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jews first and also for the Greek, Greek Gentiles. For in it, in what? The gospel. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. How are we justified? How do we live? We live by faith. What is, what is living by faith? Living by faith is putting our confidence in the completed works of Jesus, believing that what he, through the Bible, says he did, he did. We put faith in that. <clears throat> Once again, faith can only be extended to the extent of the known will of God. And so if you don't know what God's will is, you can't demonstrate faith in that area. And so if you don't know that it's God's will for you to be saved, you really can't be saved. You can, you can repeat a little prayer, but there's no, there's no change that takes place because you're just, you're just going through 
through the motions. But, you know, you, you all have heard my testimony 150,000 times, you know, but how I grew up in church, been 24 years of my life in church. On a Saturday morning in the basement of Vern Lewis's house, they sat down and they shared the gospel with me. And for the first time in my life, I heard the gospel. And when I heard the gospel, it demanded something on my part because faith rose up on the inside of me. And I knew that I, that I must receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior to be born again. And I was born again that morning. You know, the interesting thing, that was a Saturday morning, Sunday morning, went back to the church that I'd always gone to, heard the gospel. So it wasn't like I'd never heard the gospel. But I heard the gospel. And because I heard the gospel, I knew something. And because I knew something, I reached out by faith and I took a hold of salvation. But you know what? From that time, my, my Christian walk has been an experience. I had to come to the realization that by the stripes of Jesus, I've been healed. Not that God will heal me, but that God has healed me, that he desires for me to walk in wholeness. I had to come to that understanding before I could reach out and receive it by faith. Same thing for prosperity. Same thing for deliverance. Same thing for restoration of, uh, of my marriage and relationships. All of that comes down to faith. But see, if we don't ever hear, we don't ever grow, and we're never able to act upon it. So it's more than knowing about it. I knew about the gospel. It's not knowing about something. It's knowing something. It's knowing what Jesus has truly done for each and every one of us. He's come that we might have the abundant life, and that we might have it abundantly, more abundantly. In Acts, the 20th chapter, the 24th verse, Paul's talking about <clears throat> the stuff that's going on around him. And uh, he says, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish the race with joy. And the ministry which I received from Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You know, <clears throat> gospel and grace are synonymous with one another. They're interchangeable with one another. You can't have the gospel without grace. And you can't really have grace without the gospel. They're, with, they're interchangeable. You can, you can use either terms. Paul refers to it as the gospel of grace. And that's very significant that he talks about it as the gospel of grace because the gospel is based on grace. Unmerited, unearned favor. That it's not dependent upon me doing something to deserve it or doing something to earn it. In Galatians 1.6 it says, 
I marvel, here he says again, we read this earlier, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. You know what, they were continually trying to pull on Paul, to take him back, to get him back to preaching the things that lined up with the Jewish laws and so forth. But you know, Paul refused to do it. He said, it's this gospel of grace that made a difference in my life. It's this gospel of grace that's going to make a difference in each of our lives. You know, the thing about it is, is this, this gospel of grace presents a problem with religious people. Because <clears throat> religion is a good motivator. You know, I, I used to say this. I, I can't believe I used to say this, you know, but I, I did. And so, you know, I, I say, you know, I like to hear a good message once in a while that slaps you around a little bit. You know, it hurts so good. But then I got thinking about it. But it never changed me. Never, never changed anything in my life. Oftentimes it made me aware of problems and issues, whether it be in me or around me. But you know what? It never really, really never changed me. What it, what it would do was, <clears throat> you know, it'd make you feel good for a while because, you know, um, you felt like you suffered a little bit. There's just nothing like suffering. Especially when you suffer for Jesus. Oh, it's so religious. But we get caught up in it. And, you know, and so religion has a problem with it because religion wants to be, do I dare say it? Ecumenical. And by ecumenical, I don't mean hanging out with all Christians. I'm talking about hanging out with all religions. You see, if I tell the Buddhist or the Muslim or the Hindu, if I tell them they're all right, then what's the motivation to get the truth? Somebody that's relying upon their actions, that they've been better than somebody else, their actions are what a, what's going to get them into heaven. And if I don't correct that about them, and in a loving way demonstrating and showing them the love of God and revealing to them the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, they'll continue to trust in that. And they're not trusting in Jesus, they're trusting in their own abilities. And the problem with it is they live a totally frustrated life. If you're ever in religion, you can understand what I'm talking about here because I lived a totally frustrated life. Here I go to church every Sunday, but yet I have no peace, I have no confidence, I have no assurance of salvation. Do you know why? Because I might have screwed up. 
I mean, I repented everything I can think of. But you know, I'm sure there's something I didn't think of. Well, if, you're, if your salvation is dependent on you remembering everything that you did wrong, we're, 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 <laughs> we're a lost bunch. But it's not. Because through the blood of Jesus, it was paid for. Past, present, and future. And now where am I? I'm at a place in my life, we're in a place in our life, where we recognize and acknowledge what Jesus has truly done for us. You know, Sunday, I talked about repentance. But I wasn't talking about repentance from the standpoint of getting my salvation back. I was talking about repentance from the standpoint of recognizing how it can better my life, how it can change a direction that I'm going that is going to produce something far, far better in my life. And so I recognize it, I acknowledge it, and I act upon it. And I change my life. I live the life of repentance. Every one of us, we ought to be living the life of repentance. Because guess what? You ain't arrived yet. How do you know, Pastor Dave? Because you're still sucking air. As long as any of us are in these bodies, there is improvement. And that improvement comes by revelation of the Holy Spirit as He reveals it to us. We acknowledge it. We, we change it by our actions. But it's not to gain favor with God. It's because it's the right thing to do. And because I love Him and I know He loves me, I know that he has nothing but good for me. In our notes, it talks about salvation. Sozo is the word. The reason that word is so important is all inclusive. It includes healing, includes prosperity, includes deliverance, in addition to eternal life. Salvation isn't just for the Sweet by and by. Salvation is for the here and now. That we might live the victorious, the abundant life. That's what God wants for us. That's what Jesus wants for us. And that's what I want for us. That we see it. And that we walk in it. Christianity is more than just simply embracing something. Christianity is recognizing and acknowledging the truth of who Jesus truly is. You know, the Bible in the book of Revelation talks about the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is that spirit that denies Jesus as coming as the Son of God. Religion doesn't have a problem acknowledging that Jesus came. They'll call him a prophet. They'll call him a teacher. They'll call him whatever, but they won't call him the Son of God. But being the Son of God is what qualifies Jesus to be your Savior and my Savior. Because he wasn't born in sin, and he never sinned. He lived a holy, perfect life. He was he was a perfect lamb, the lamb without blemish. Perfect sacrifice for you and me. Christianity 